Episode 3, Slam City, Dunk360.com, etc., etc., etc. Unqua Sonia, Raymond Mora, Jeremy Epstein. We had a week off. We, well, at least I was working. I don't know what these two were doing. But I was working too. Way to throw us under the bus. I know. I was working too. <laughs> what were you doing, Mr. Popular guy here? Popular? I spent a week broadcasting a Division One championship tournament. Well, I was writing Get all week. Get it together. I was writing all week, so, yeah. I drove there and back and prepped for six teams. I win. I'm glad Jeremy's staying out of this. Congratulations. You want a cookie? Actually, yes. Just feed his ego. Just feed the ego. Yeah, exactly. That's why I stay out of this. I am an egomaniac. What can I say? But like I said, we're back. Better than ever. So we figure after being away for some time, we should probably start this thing off with a bang. (laughs) We've been seeming to rake them in lately and... No better time to talk to NFL safety Harrison Smith of the Minnesota Vikings. Harrison, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. First off, this was really sort of a breakout season for you. What were some things that you saw coming into this season that made you think that you were going to have the year that you had? I think really just being in um, you know Mike Zimmer's defense uh, for, for for a second year um, really just just helped. Helped not only me out, but the whole team out, just being more familiar with with everything he wanted out of us. Um, you know, we had successes first year, but we really started putting things together last year and um, just just re- really trying to build on that going forward because we really have a, have a lot of guys back and um, a lot of guys that, that, that love playing football and love playing football together. Uh, so we have, we have uh, you know, a nice group of guys. Mike Zimmer, once again, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings this year. What is it about his defense that really resonates with you? Well, for me specifically, um, you know, he, he uses his safeties a lot. They get, to, they get to do a lot of things. They get to blitz, you know, cover, come down in the box, play deep. Um, so you really get to play everywhere, uh, which is great because you get a better understanding of the defense. Uh, but really just, just his overall approach to, to the game, you know, everybody doing their job, uh, everybody taking care of, you know, their assignment. And they may make the play or may not make the play, but it also puts, you know, the, the guy beside you in a better position to make a play. So it's really we all play together, and that, that's what makes us good. We have, we have so many guys that can make plays. Harrison, Jeremy here. I was just wondering if you could take me back to the playoff loss last year. Obviously, at the time, it was a crushing defeat. But now, a few months later, do you have the opportunity to look back on last season and see how much you guys exceeded outside expectations and could take something positive away from it? Or does the loss still hurt as much as it did? I mean, the loss is always going to hurt. You know, there's losses I've had from high school that I still think about. Um, but you, you learn from things like that. Um and, and as far as exceeding expectations, you know, to us, we didn't exceed expectations because we had higher expectations um, inside, you know, our, our team. Um, so we don't, we don't really look at, at, at what we're expected to do outside of our walls. We have, you know, we set standards for ourselves and, you know, we didn't reach them. So just try to learn from them and, um, you know, kind of build on that for, for the next season. And for you on a personal note, you were named um, to the top 100 players in the NFL. I think you were number 73. What What's that like for you getting that news? I mean, it's great. It's great knowing that, that guys I play with, peers, uh, you know, kind of recognize uh, me as a as a player. Um, you know, there's there's tons of guys I can think of that, that don't make that list that I think are awesome players too. So, 
you know, it's not the end all be all to me, but it is it's definitely nice kinda getting getting a little nod from your peers. So Raymond, uh, I want to ask specifically when you were playing under Zimmerman, did he do anything different like in terms of scheme that helped you as a player on the field? As far as scheme, yeah, um, it's really just it's kind of what he's he's done and he uh, over the years and he he kind of you know he'll build on it and put more stuff in on it if if if, if we can handle it. So um, I, you know it's not. I wouldn't say it's for me. I think it's I think it's for the team. Um, and and he just he just takes you know takes guys and and puts them in the best position to win. And and he just he he does a great job of it. What did you think about uh, Teddy Bridgewater's year? You know, he's just, it was in his second year, and you know, you guys made it to the playoffs with him leading the way. What do you think of him as a quarterback for this team? I love ever since Teddy has stepped in the building. I think everybody's just loved his whole demeanor. Um, you know he's he's a guy that everybody wants to be around. Um, you know he's he's that he's got that quarterback. You know the kind of that quarterback, those characteristics that that people talk about. But he's also at the same time he's not a he's not like overwhelming. Um, he's just he's got a quiet confidence, uh, very cool, cool under pressure. He always plays the best when the game is on the line, um, and he's he's a competitive dude. So he's uh you know he's only he's only played two years and he's he's already progressed so much um and he and he started at a high level so he's uh you know we're we're lucky to have him talking to harrison smith free safety for the minnesota vikings right here on slam city uh now harrison you played for one of the most storied programs in college football history in person of the notre dame fighting irish talk a little bit about what it was like for you to be a part of that program and really have a chance to win some great games and be a part of some great moments. Yeah, I think, you know, going, going to a place like Notre Dame, it's, it just feels different. It kind of feels like you step back in time. You know, when I was there, we still had the, the, the grass field. There was no, uh, no uh, replay board. It feels like you're, you're, it just feels like you're, you're kind of back in time. Um, and then you, you kind of get to see all the, the greats come back to games, uh, listen to them talk, and you feel like you just feel like you're a part of something. You feel like you kind of have to uphold that. Um, so it's you know I still watch them as, as as much as I can, and um, you know they're still still putting out great athletes. They have a bunch of first rounders this year, a bunch of guys drafted, um, and and then there's also the the kind of the, the academic side of it, which you know all those guys are are going to class and 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 doing a good job there. So you know. I just have a lot of respect for the guys going through it and, um, you know, just kind of happy to be a part of it. Do you ever have a time while you were in your collegiate career where you felt like all the pressure from playing, from going to school was hitting you all at once? And how did you deal with that? I would say, I would say early, like when I first got there, the first, probably the first year, year and a half, maybe, um, just kind of an adjustment period of, of being able to, to do it all, uh, manage your time right, keep your body right, um, sleep enough as an athlete, um, and it's just you know it's just an adjustment you kind of have to make. Um, in, in a lot of ways, I think it it helps guys transition to the NFL because you really have I don't want to say you have less because of the game you know the game there's a lot more going on with the game, but you don't have that whole other academic life or 
social life on campus. So it's it almost makes the transition to the NFL easier, in my opinion. Um, so I'm kind of I'm kind of happy that that I had to go through that adjustment um, early on. So Harrison, are there any safeties in the NFL today who you would watch tape on and compare yourself with, or try to and, um, get your game after, or roll your game after that? Um, you know, there's there's a lot, there's a, a ton of good players, and it's you, know, you can learn things from not just watching safeties, but you can learn things from from linebackers, from corners, from from linemen. Um, so I watch. I, I mean, I just watch. I watch football, and there's there's a ton of safeties I love watching. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily model my game after them, um, but definitely try to steal pieces from them. Um, you know, there's. I mean, you could almost name someone on on every team, but you know, guys I watch a lot. Uh, you know, Ma- Malcolm Jenkins, Rashad Jones. Um, obviously, both guys out in Seattle, Earl and uh, Cam. Um, honestly, everybody, Barry. Um, everybody. I mean, there's there, there's just so many good players now, and everybody makes plays. Um, some guys, you know, you're obviously going to miss plays, so you know, I have to be all the time just trying to learn from that too. Um, so, so when I watch film, I just try to put my myself in the shoes of, of a guy on the field and try to see what they see. Um, so there's there's a lot of good players out there. So there's there's a lot to learn. Uh, you guys are coming in as one of the most improved teams this off season. What do you have to do in terms of this season to you know pretty much come off with a be- uh, great defense and pretty much better uh, play on the offense? You think you guys have a chance to make some noise this regular season? Yeah, I mean that's that's always our our mindset. Um, you know, we really one thing that that them kind of reminds us of is that you you can't you can't do it all right now you got to take care of one thing every day you know go 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 out on the field with a purpose every day you know get better in one area and that's kind of our mindset and over time that should put us in a good position um to be successful and then and then when that time comes you have to take advantage of it so it all comes down to game day but right now we're just trying to prepare slowly and uh learn something new every day Talking to Harrison Smith, free safety for the Minnesota Vikings. You can follow him on Twitter at HarrisSmith22. Harrison, I, I heard from, from one of our higher-ups here at Dunk360.com that you're getting your MBA. Congratulations on that, and where are you going for that? Um, they uh, they have a program at uh, the University of Miami um, You know that's that's in the offseason. So it, it's really great for, um, you know, guys in my position that, you know, we have free time, but it's only, you know, a certain time of the year and we can take advantage of that. And then when, um, you know, when it's time to play football, we can focus solely on football. That was really my main concern in doing it was um, I'm not getting distracted uh, during the football season. And so once I, once I knew that was a non-issue, uh, I was all for it. And I've already, uh, I've, I've only been doing it for, for about six months and I've uh, already learned a lot and a lot of great guys. A lot of former players, really. Um, so learning from them, learning about things they did when they played uh, on and off the field, what they're doing now, um, it just gives you another, you know, just one other thing to, to kind of another source to learn from, and it's it's been great so far. How different is it for you going from being a student athlete to being just a straight up student? What's kind of an adjustment you had to make, or was it easier for you? As far as going going to school now, yeah, going season, to school now. 
Um, I actually love it because uh, when you're when you're a student athlete, kind of like we talked about, there's a, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to manage, and now it's almost like I kind of get to completely separate them. So you know, I'm obviously an athlete most of the time, and then I get you know a little time off, and I can be be a student and really really focus on the classes. Um, you know, because that's all I have going on in the off season. Um, so that's that was that was kind of it was just it was kind of nice. Um, it, it it makes you want to learn more, and it kind of you appreciate the classroom setting a little more than when you're in college. You're kind of just trying to check it off, basically. Um, so it's it's been good so far, but at the same time, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back into football and 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 solely focus on that. What do you got to do as a player, you know, because you pretty much had a great season last season, but what you got to do individually to make sure the defense is, is pretty much in the top five? Um, you know, I always set individual goals for myself. Um, that doesn't necessarily, you know, mean we're going to be a good defense or not. Uh, but I just I just do it just, you know, to try to have something to shoot for. Um, so, that, you know, I always write those things down. And then, um, you know, one thing that uh, Zim gets me on is, is, is becoming a better blitzer. Uh, so I need to really uh, step that level up. And then and then really just every area. You know, open field tackling is, is very big in this league. Um, just getting guys down instead of letting them, you know, break for a touchdown um, is important for safety. So that's one area that's always, you know, kind of the top for, for, for things that I focus on. Is that more dependent on – strength for you or technique when it comes to open field tackling? Um, I would say technique. Um, knowing knowing the angles, knowing where where the sideline is, knowing if, if guys are, you know, if you've got help from some area, some guys coming. Because normally there's, you know, there's not a lot of one-on-one tackles if you really break it down. There's normally somebody to your left or your right or somebody coming from behind. Um, so if you can use those things, like the sideline, um, then you can put yourself in a good position. Uh, you just got to, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing about understanding the defense. It allows you to, you know, play off of your teammates well, and it makes things easier on you. So does going against the explosive offense you guys have with Adrian Peterson in the backfield and Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback, during practice, does that help that transition, make it a little easier come game day? Yeah, you know, when, when Adrian runs through the hole in practice, well, I mean, we're not allowed to touch him, obviously. But, um... <laughs> But even when he just runs, you know, just runs by, you can feel his speed and his power, um, you know, just because he runs with such force and he runs so fierce. You know, sometimes in practice he'll just run right at you just so you have to get out of the way. Um, but so he he creates good habits for us as far as thinking about the angles you would take, um, how you would tackle him, um, just basically how to get him on the ground. So that's even though we're not doing it, you're still trying to put your body in a in a position that would be uh, successful. To wrap things up here, Harrison, what are you most looking forward to as workouts and training camp? It's, it's still a ways away, but what are you going to be looking forward to most to kick off this coming season? I mean, to start with, I think, you know, just getting back into these workouts, just being around the team again, uh, being around the guys. We have such good chemistry on our team. You know, not just defensively, but offensively, and, and the whole unit. Um, and we love we we love playing for our coaches. So we just have we just have a lot of guys who love the game. And I think I think being around people with the same mindset as you 
just makes it better. And it, it just, you know, it kind of gets us going when we're out on the field. So that kind of that camaraderie and just being out there with your guys, uh, to me, is when you become really good, and that's when it gets real fun. Harrison Smith, free safety for the Minnesota Vikings. Glad we were able to have you on this this afternoon. Thanks so much for your time, oh. and best of luck. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for having me on. Hurry short on a three-point attempt, and that will do it. It is another road victory in the playoffs for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, obviously, Philadelphia got their biggest win in three years by winning the lottery, but we're going to focus more on the NBA playoffs with teams that are actually in there. <laughs> so let's start out with the Thunder Warriors, guys. What do you think of that series so far? Ay, ay, ay. The funniest thing about it is that as soon as the Thunder won game one, everyone said, it's over. The Thunder are going to the finals. The Warriors are done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Grow up, fellas. No, I didn't, believe, I didn't believe that at all. It's oh, just that, one that's, game. That's not to you. That's to America or the world in general, which means I guess I shouldn't have used fellas. But back to the topic at hand. Seriously, the Warriors, they're still the Warriors. They're still the reigning champs. And, well, good luck, Oklahoma City. They lost nine games all year. Is one team going to beat them four times in a seven-game series? They haven't lost back-to-back games the entire year. And they, still, and they probably won't throughout the whole this series and possibly in the finals. But the thing is about people exaggerating on one game because they lost. And I mean, let's be clear. The Warriors put their foot off the gas in the third quarter in that first game because they thought it was over. But then Westbrook got on fire. Fourth quarter, you know, they had a problem shooting the ball and, and Thunder capitalized with it. But then game two, they showed up and they showed why they're the best team in, in the NBA right I now. I mean, let's face it. Truly dominant teams, sometimes they get bored and they need a wake-up call. Yeah. Game one was their wake-up call. They even had one in the first round against the Rockets, and that's a team that they didn't really respect. James Harden did push off on that game-winning shot, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course he did. But now they're going to go into Oklahoma City focused, and I think it's still going to be a great series. I just think the Warriors are going to continue to carry on their short-lived winning tradition. If the Thunder are going to win the series, they really need Game 3. It'll show that, you know, Game 2 is a fluke. We could still beat them at home. We have home court advantage. They're going to really need that game. I think that's going to be pivotal for them. Well, they're going to need Durant and Westwood to shoot better. I mean, I know they're getting their points, but they're not shooting it effectively. Because, you know, Adams and Cam, they're going to get their their points, but it's already up to the Stars what they can do. I mean, look, that's that's all they have, though. Well, when it comes to Oklahoma City, they go the way of – Westbrook and Durant. And if they're both on the same page, then that team is nearly unstoppable. Well, they have to avoid the my turn, your turn type of basketball where Kevin Durant gets it, then they just give it to Russell Westbrook and it's isolation basketball. They really actually have to take a page from the Warriors playbook, a lot of motion, a lot of moving the ball. They honestly might be the most talented team in the NBA depth-wise, especially with their big men. Well, yeah, on paper, they are the most talented team. But the thing has always been, like you said, my turn, your turn. And they have to find a way to play together because if they're in together, they're they're more talented than anybody knew. That's why I think that Billy Donovan was a really good pick for them as their head coach. I mean, he won back-to-back titles at Florida. There were four NBA players on that championship roster. So I really think that he's been able to get them to do that as, year, as the year's gone on. I just think that we're you know, the two big stars are concerned, they fall back on old habits. That's always what you say. You are you are in this league. So eventually they're going to fall back to their bad, their bad habits. 
unless they really believe that you know they play together, they can win the series. And they also sometimes try too much, especially with Kevin Durant. You see the turnovers. He's trying to be a facilitator. He's not a facilitator. He's one of the best scorers in the league. He should really try to concentrate more on that. Let Russell do a lot of facilitating. Obviously, he's he had a big assist game in Game One. He kind of dominated them with that. So. You should really let Russell be the main facilitator. Run some pick and rolls, pick and pass with a Baca, get the ball to Canner on the block. They could be, they could win the series, but it's just the coaching, like you said, they're gonna have to out coach the Warriors. Well, Thompson is also guarding Westbrook, and so far he's he's been effective. I mean, uh, last game he was two of eight against Thompson. Everybody else he was pretty much effective. So it, the length be, is gonna bother him. Yeah. Thompson at six seven, Westbrook at six three. Yeah, that pull up jump shot's a little harder to hit when you have a six foot seven arm instead of a Steph Curry who's Russell Westbrook's height. And yeah. that actually bodes well for the Warriors too, because Deion Waiters has become inconsistent. Robertson is not really an offensive threat, so you can pawn Steph Curry on whoever plays the two. And Clay Thompson can do what he does. They have a giant hole to two guard Oklahoma City. If they if they only had one guy who they didn't trade to Houston. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, maybe it would have a different series. And for all we know, might would have put the Thunder in the position to win the series. It's a whole nother conversation though that trade. But honestly, if you look at the Warriors, they're built to win. Even with their length off the bench, Sean Livingston at six seven, you bring in most spades off the bench who could get you twenty points on a good night. Festus Azili is a lockdown defender, great rebounder. They're really obviously set up. They're the better team in the series. They lost one game. People kind of lost their minds, but they're set up to win and probably win the championship. Well, of course they'll lose their mind. I mean, this is a team that's, like you said, 73 and 9. Of course they lose their mind. Like they're pretty much undefeated, and they're like, oh, they lose one game. It's, it's all over for them. They and weren't that. undefeated in the postseason either. The 95-96 Bulls, they lost two games in the finals. They lost games, I think, for 4 and 5 or 3 and 4 They in, in Seattle. Like, no team in the playoffs, everyone steps their game up. It's not like the regular season where you could kind of half play the game and just turn it on in the fourth quarter. The intensity is there from the opening tip, especially in the conference finals. But the intensity also comes from their head coach, Steve Kerr. I mean, he's, a, he's this is a guy who's been a winner wherever he goes, and he understands the how to play at the highest level. I mean, he's played with Michael Jordan, so he knows how to motivate this team to be you know around that level. I think what it is with Steve Kerr is that that balance is really huge for him. He knows how to be aggressive. He knows how to be competitive. But if you look into, you know, even when he was out for the beginning of the season, he kind of had to pace himself in coming back. And in that same vein, he's really taught the Warriors, as they're being hectic, they got to keep it cool internally. While the arena's going nuts after they hit their threes, it always seems to come back to basics for them. That's one thing they're going to really have to keep in check. Some of the shots they force up with a lot of time on the shot clock. I know Steve Kerr really harped on that in game one. We were playing like we were down 20 when we were only down three. You got Steph Curry. I mean, I know he's a great shooter, and he makes a lot of those shots. But with 20 seconds on the shot clock, that's not the ideal shot. And I know Steph Curry. I know he's the MVP. I know he shoots a high percentage, but that's still not the ideal shot. Yeah. So what do you guys think is going to happen this series? you think Warriors are five, six, Thunder, six, seven? I think this is going seven. I just think the Warriors are going to do it. I could see it going the distance. I think the Golden State's going to win. I think if Oklahoma City has a strong performance in Game 3, it'll really help them propel them to possibly winning. But if Golden State dominates the way they've been dominating, and even the first half of Game 1 they were blowing them out. So if not for a few turnovers, this could be a 2-0 series already. I, I think Warriors is going to be in 5. I believe that they're going to win 4 straight, get out enough rest as they can, knowing that the Cavaliers are on the other side waiting uh, for them. Okay, 5? Yeah. I say five. I feel like a lot of people are doubting them that they might lose game three. I think they're going to win game three, and they're going to win game four. They're going to close it out in five. In five? No. 
I don't. I, I no. No. I think that crowd in Oklahoma City could propel them to one win. It's for for the Thunder, the home team, especially if you know Kevin Durant's not going anywhere. But the feeling in that city is we may be watching one of the greatest players in the history of our franchise, Seattle included. Uh, play for the last time. I think that energy you saw it in the San Antonio series when he had 41 in that one game where they thought we're never going to see this guy again after we lose to the Spurs. So I think they could win one game at home, but I think the Warriors will close it out in six or seven. I'm still saying Warriors in seven, and let's not forget, game one was in Oakland. So it's not like the Thunder are incapable of winning on the road. Went from most hated to the champion God flow. I guess that's a feeling only me and LeBron know. We were talking earlier this week. And, and Raymond said something about a curse on LeBron James. Yeah, as a player, he's a, he's a curse. Not not uh, You got to explain uh, this, man. Not in a of a bad curse, but just more of what he is as a player. Wait, wait, wait. there's such thing as a not bad curse? Curse is a negative connotation. It's only bad. <laughs> a blessing is the opposite. But you, yeah, but the thing is, in terms of what he is as a player, I feel like what he does... Is that you know he does the scoring, does the rebound, does the assists. He defends five positions. He plays forty-two or pretty much forty-two minutes a game most of the time. That to him, I feel like is a curse because coaches are going to overuse him so much, knowing that if he's off the court, they have no chance to win. And in their eyes, they have no chance to win. I think it's more of a crutch than a curse, especially with a guy like Ty Lue in his first rodeo as a head coach. But I mean, in the playoffs, you play all your players extended minutes. And even so, in game one. Tyron Lue made a pretty good move. He sat LeBron for the rest of the first quarter, let Love and Irving go off, and then brought LeBron in with the second unit in the second quarter. Yeah, against an injury depleted Raptors team. So we got to see that how it does against a, a great team. But he's still going to have to give him his rest. I mean, we are past those days now. Because, yes, LeBron was pushed to the limit in last year's finals. But he knows there's mileage on his body. Tyron Lou knows there's mileage on his body. So they have to save him for minutes even in the finals. They, yeah. They're not going to play him 42 minutes. They don't need to play him 42 minutes in this series because it's, well, pretty, sure it's, it's series, over. For, this the, series. for the next series, he's probably going to be around that. Well, you uh, have assuming to, so that they, the I mean, assuming they walk to the finals, I still don't see him playing for 42 minutes. Against, say, Oklahoma City or Golden State, you're going to have to play your best players the best game. Didn't Kevin Durant play 46 minutes against the Warriors? Yeah, this got to, so these, you're going to have to play them. I'm seeing I'm I'm, I'm 35. I don't know about 40. No, 35 is too small. No, he's going to play 40. I mean, look at Durant Washburn. They're playing around 40, 45 minutes against the Warriors right now. And they ain't got to have to because there's nobody on the bench that like, can really keep up with the Warriors bench. So. The great Herm Edwards said, you play to win the game. You're going to play your best player the most amount of time that gives you the greatest opportunity to which, win. Which so is, then how is that a curse? Because... Wherever wherever he goes, and it's not like he had he had great teams in Miami. And he still play a lot of minutes. I'm saying as him as a player, what what he does on the court so much is what makes him a curse. Because if I were his coach, I wouldn't play him this many minutes, knowing that he has so much mileage on his body. I need to be able to conserve him. I need to have other players around For him step what? up. Because it's the finals, it's you're yeah. trying to win a championship. This isn't game. This doesn't happen this isn't, every year. This isn't game forty of the regular season. This is the NBA playoffs. You have to play your great players. And more Just importantly, how many minutes he's played, though. And and remember how many times we've seen a decent team like the Thunder, for instance, when they lost to the Heat in that fi- in that final series. We thought, yo, with James Harden and Westbrook and Durant, they're gonna be back soon. They haven't been back since. They broke up that team after that loss, though. But what you're saying is 100% accurate. 
you don't you don't take this stuff for granted. You could even go into baseball when the Washington Nationals shut down Steven Strasburg the year they were really favored to win the Thank World Series. You. you don't get back. They took it for granted. Yeah, but you guys, I'm just saying it in terms of uh, as him as a player on the court. It, it's gonna. I mean, eventually you're gonna see a lot of you see fatigue on on the James. In the, well, that's in why you finals. manage his minutes during the regular season. He takes games off. He sits games out. Obviously, everyone's going to be fatigued. It's an 82-game season and a giant playoff grind. If anything, but he's had so much time to rest with two sweeps and possibly a third one. I think he's going to be ready for the finals. And it's not like he's going to ask out. I mean, he did against the Spurs <laughs> no, he, he, when he, he had gotta, cramps. He, he, he but he's going to ask out. In the regular season, I would do it too. No, a couple years back in the finals when it was 95 degrees in that in the Spurs arena when he asked <laughs> can, out. Can, can, we just, can we just address for a second how most of the people who say that he's not tough enough to play through cramps have probably never played through anything more strenuous than a rolled ankle in their entire it's lifetime? probably true. But they compare him to Michael who played with the flu, so that's the comparison right there. That's still Cramping silly. That's still silly. Though. It's one thing to have to battle with your respirat- with your whole respiratory system and I'm, I'm not really medically affiliated. none of us are doctors none of us are doctors surprise i do know that when i had to run with bronchitis i could still feel the rest of my body moving i had trouble breathing but in terms of playing with cramps where your legs have to continuously keep moving honestly it's tougher running with cramps it is it is, but the thing is, I think the people are making a lot of this change with the cramps and all that, but it's pretty much the only thing that's bad about him. If he, gets, he plays 20 minutes, he starts getting cramps because he's dehydrated. But that the was ventilation just, system quit on yeah, him that in was just San one Antonio. Example. That was an anomaly, especially in San Antonio. That was a huge anomaly. It hasn't happened before, and it didn't happen since. But let's make this clear, though. Even with James off the court, they're still a talented team. But I don't want to hear this this excuse that they're not great. They're not, you know, gonna be able to win games without him when you have Irving and Love on the court. Not in the NBA Finals against the Warriors. Oh not. yeah, I guess in the Finals. But I think if you take hit James off this team against the Raptors, you think they can't beat him without James? The way Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan are playing, we could play and probably not lose by sixty. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody could play against them. They'd be up by twenty. Even against, even the weaker teams will be up by twenty right now against the Raptors. I mean, they're just they're just tired right now, and they they have nothing left in the end. Kyle Lowry just disappeared. It's so. an interesting spectrum because if you think, do you think Dwayne Casey would keep his job if they lay complete egg in the series the way they struggled to get to the conference finals? They had no business two? being here. I don't care how highly seated they were. They had no business being I mean, here. They at, should give him an extension. Yeah, a he- healthy Miami. You didn't think Miami could have more of a challenge against Cavaliers and the Raptors right now? Oh, 100 percent. Miami is, if they're healthy with Chris Bosh and Whiteside, they'd be much more well-suited to play against the Cavaliers and the Raptors team. But the Raptors still don't have that really shut-down go-to scorer anyway. They have Lowry and DeRozan. DeRozan's going to be a max player at the end of this year. He's going to be a max player, but is he really that... Yeah, whatever. But is he really (laughs) that type of scorer where you go... Oh my gosh, he's got the ball in his hand. Yeah, he can't shoot. No, he gets to the line at will. He's a slasher. For what the NBA is, though, for what the other teams have, he's not Carmelo. He's not Kevin Durant, but he's a solid player. No one's saying that he's not a solid player. I'm saying that Toronto, offensively, at any position, doesn't have a guy you can give the ball in his hands and you say that's a bucket. Yeah, right now Kyle Lowry is just struggling and disappearing. Well, they have those guys. They're just not playing well. But, Kyle but, but, Lowry but look at the Cavaliers. But they're still, not, they still, even at their best, 
it's not quite like that. Well, then why they win over 50 games and finish with the second seed in the East? Because they both together are very capable players. So but I still don't see either one as you give them the ball, it's an automatic bucket. Yeah, so breaking that down, why are they struggling in the postseason? Do you think that's a coaching issue or you think that's just a fatigue issue? That's a personnel issue. I don't think that's a coaching issue. That's a personnel issue. But just looking at the Cavaliers' road to, to the finals, which we all know they're going to be in the finals anyway. It's going to end pretty soon. But uh, they faced Detroit in the first round. They avoided Chicago when they made it to the, to the playoffs in the first round. They faced Atlanta in the second round. They avoided the Celtics. That could have been another team that could have gave them trouble. Detroit that, gave them the toughest series so far. They did, but I believe if the Bulls were in the playoffs, I think they would have more of a challenge. Absolutely not. Absolutely the Bulls not. were awful this year. They but, fired Thibodeau and they to hire a coach who was better offensively suited to coach that team, and they got worse offensively. Well, they got a lot of injuries too, but remember last postseason, they had, didn't have the saw and they kind of lost in that series, so that could have changed the whole series. They were also in the playoffs that year. The yeah. Bulls would not give the Cavs a run for their money at I all. I think the Celtics could have. The way I disagree because they, the the they, the, <laughs> they, they lost to Atlanta. That's true. They got killed. They lost to Atlanta pretty severely, and then Cleveland pulled those. Team, Atlanta. So they would have given him trouble either way. No, I don't think so. If you the think, only chance you would have had is if Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, and whomever else, maybe Jerem. Bradley got hurt or, in that series. Yeah, if all your only chance that series is to try and wear down LeBron. And you guys say the Raptors don't have a go-to score. The Celtics, the Celtics do not have a go-to score. They never did. So Jeff Hornacek makes it two straight, becoming the fourth two-time winner in the 14-year history of the event. So really the only team that is not in the playoffs that could dominate a news cycle is the New York Knicks, and they have done so with their most recent hire of Jeff Hornacek. Phil Jackson is kind of making the safe choice without going with Kurt Ramis. I'm interested in what you guys are thinking about that. Can I be honest with you? When I read the news, I saw it everywhere. I thought it was a joke. And then I was confused for the first 15 minutes. They get all the candidates. Jeff Hornacek? It's, it's so random well, to me. Yeah, first of all, I was I was just working on and I see this text. And then I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, how, how, why would they hire him over Frank Vogel and other, other candidates that are, are free right now? I don't think Frank Vogel wanted the job. I think Frank Vogel, there were a lot of reports that he had his eyes set on the Orlando Magic job, which is the job he ultimately agreed to. But if you break it down, Frank, um, excuse me, Jeff Hornacek's the only former player other than Rambis who he interviewed. Phil Jackson always coveted Hornacek as a player. I think he felt Hornacek would fit in perfectly into the triangle offense. And I think Jeff Hornacek is a system coach. And if you look what Phil Jackson wanted, although he preached he really wanted to run the triangle system, he said system basketball in general is the way to succeed. And I think he's really looking at Hornacek as a system co- as a system coach, and hopefully they could you know run the ball a little more, but get some more up tempo offense. The one thing I could say about that is you know system basketball and all that, but we all know that there's gonna be some triangle in the system regardless. Well, because it's Phil well, Jackson. A ton of teams run the triangle of the Spurs, yeah. the Warriors. Even you can see the Cleveland run a small variation, but it can't be your only exclusive offense. Yeah, so there's going to be a mixture of the triangle and possibly pick and roll. Something about the Jeff Hornacek hire, even though we know about the, the basketball aspects of it, from an overall standpoint, it still felt pretty random to me. And it's a kind of a weird transitive property to go from, oh, that's a player I wanted when I was a coach, to... Okay, now he's a coach. I wanted him back then, so I want him as a coach now. It, it's a weird transitive process. It is very confusing on how Phil came to that decision. You know, all the reports where you heard it was strictly triangle, triangle, triangle. 
I mean, if you look at the way Hornacek ran his teams in Phoenix, it was a lot of up-tempo. He ran with when he had Eric Bledsoe, Dragic, and for the first half of last year, Isaiah Thomas, a lot of three-guard running with the offense like that. The Knicks don't have a point guard, so that offense is kind of moot here. It's going to be an interesting fit. Here's what else is interesting about that, though. Under Hornacek, Bledsoe took a step forward. Dragic took a step forward. Markeith Morris. Morris, the Morris looked twins better. Until they imploded in that locker room. And then before they traded Isaiah Thomas, which was mind-blowingly dumb, he was looking good too, which is why I'm thinking that maybe Jeff Hornacek was there to try and mold Jaron Grant. Maybe. Because honestly, I'm at a point where I'm so fed up with the way the Knicks used him. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've said it for, to you guys at least all season long. You drafted Jaron Grant in the first round. You traded your former first-round pick, Tim Hardaway Jr., for him. So give him the keys. Give him the keys. Let him learn how to run an NBA offense. And they didn't do that. Because they, they don't believe that he can be an eff- effective in the triangle. So what the was the point? Well, that's a good question. What is the point of that? Because He's a combo guard. He yeah, exactly. Defend. He's a combo he's a, guard. He's a good player. But that's I th- what It's I'm interesting saying. to see, for me... With Jeff Hornacek playing in Utah and his relationship with Porzingis, maybe it'll help him out. Show him some Carl Malone tips. Give him, tell him what Carl used to do to get some points in the in the paint, and maybe get Porzingis stronger in the post. So that's gonna be an interesting fit for me. Well, I think this hire was specifically because of where the NBA is right now. Though you see, you're seeing a lot of spread out shooting threes now, and now they gotta adapt to that. And they're gonna need the right players though to be in the system for sure. I mean, let's see who's coming back for the Knicks. Calderon's money is off the books. No, they well, still he, have him. Well, they, they still have they him. Still they have, still have he him. has one more year. They could stretch him out with the stretch provision, but they could trade him. If, if no it's one's going to take that no contract. Take I think they have one year left with Calderon. Well, I'm gonna tell you this: if I see Calderon on the court again, I mean, we just boycott the whole season, for all we know. Look, at least Rampus isn't that coach, right? At least the campaign's successful. That anybody but Rampus <laughs> is <laughs> successful. It made no sense that Phil was so tied to Kurt Rampus because I mean, he's his best well, friend. The with Their hire- wives are friends. But the problem with hiring a head coach. Is they're always, no matter who they are, going to be the second best head coach in the facility. Problem. This is so true. The, the best head coach is the president, and he's refusing the coach. But the problem the with hiring the Ramis was that he's a guy who's under 100 games and hasn't been successful. Now he's, he's never been successful. You're right. Well, when he took over the Lakers before, when they fired Del Harris in the '90s, when he had Shaq and Kobe, they weren't. He wasn't terrible, but he's never as a full-time head coach. He's, he's been, been terrible. Awful. Just look awful. at the huddles, though. Nobody, all the players don't even listen to him in the huddle. Well, they didn't and, really listen to Derek Fisher either. Yeah, but I mean, the Ramis like he was confused most of the time, and he always he thought he could, you know, motivate his players, but they weren't listening to him. I mean, they were just like checked out most of the time. They wanted the season to end already. And I think part of that is because of the way the season went. They were at 500 more than and halfway 22. through the season, and they fell off the map. It's tough, really, to stay motivated after that. Yeah, it really is, especially when you have your, your best player at an ankle sprain, which pretty much caused the season to be and over. And Porzingis got hurt, and it was kind of all downhill from there. And Rambus was – if they chose him, the veterans had to go to – Kurt Rambis and say, as our other host was saying, was saying, give Jaron Grant the keys. Play our young players. Get them game experience. And so if you can't even identify that when you're 32 and 50 and out of the playoffs, clearly, how could you coach the team? I mean, it's also that he wanted to play his veterans so he could save his job or had a chance to even get a job with the Knicks, which pretty much it was over because they were even under that is, Even that is nonsensical. Even that very notion is nonsensical. If the season is already over, show progress. Look, forget the win-loss record. Just show progress. 
And they didn't even show that. It's going to be interesting to see who they, uh, uh, what free agents they're looking at in the offseason, specifically for the point guard position. Are they comfortable with giving Jaron Grant the keys, or what mm. are they going to do with Calderon's money? If Aaron Aflalo and Derek Williams are going to opt in, because they could have some money to work with. Well, for all we know, they got to find a way to get rid of Calderon. That's what the one they got to do because they, they don't Good want luck. him on the court. They don't want him on the court again, getting abused by by fast point guards, escorting them to the basket. They don't want that to happen again. I think okay. we have to stop looking at Jose Calderon through the lens of a starting point guard. He's a bench player at this point. Even with Dallas, I think he was coming off the bench yeah. when he signed that he made, so, ma- so, massive so, contract. He makes bad point guards look like all stars. Well, it's tough. That's when, how bad it it's is. It's tough when you're always outmatched defensively and most likely offensively too. And 100%, he always has a mismatch for the other team defensively. And in the Knicks division, when you're going against Isaiah Thomas a few times a year, it's tough. Yeah, going against Kyle Lowry. You're going against any point yeah. guard. Let's just say Kyle Lowry was the worst point guard in the league right now. I don't th- I don't know if you could go that far. Look at the new Brooklyn Nets point guards. They're, They're actually more better than him athletically, though. Athletically, <laughs> maybe, but Shane Larkin, Shane Larkin was, was here backing and him he up. couldn't do it. Shane Larkin's just a pest, though. That's all he is. He hasn't really done much. But, you know, going back to Jeff Hornsack, look, the hiring may be a little confusing because there's other candidates out there, but maybe this is a way of saying that this is Jackson's last chance to redeem himself for the Fisher and the Rambus situation, and hopefully the well Porzingis. So, as quickly as Jose Bautista went down against Mr. Odor on Sunday, we're going to wrap this thing up. But before we go, anything to look forward to for next week, guys? Well, hopefully the final starts early, right? Wrap up in the NBA playoffs. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's Got some kidding. baseball. Maybe the Yankees will turn it around. I don't even tell, tell me about the Yankees right now. I've just been struggling, and it's been sad, and it's been painful, and I've been crying most of the time. So he's going to go see who's going to comfort him in this time of bereavement. <laughs> We're out of here. Follow us on Twitter, N underscore A-S-O-N-Y-E. More in this 10. At Jeremy EPS. And of course, always follow the site at The Dunk 360 because there can only be one. Join us next week. Slam City, we're out of here.